Hey guys, it's Morgan here. I want to welcome you to Young Adults Today podcast, where we talk about reaching young adults in our world today. I'm going to toss it over to our hosts, Micah and Josiah Keneally. What's up, guys? Hope you're feeling alive right now. I'm Micah Keneally, and I want to welcome you to Young Adults Today podcast, where we reach young adults in our world today. Like today, and like always, I'm joined right here with my husband and co-host, Josiah Keneally. Josiah, how are you doing today? Hey, guys. Doing awesome. We're in our home studio today, and just loving life, loving ministry, yeah. and excited to have time to podcast with you guys today. Yeah, well, Josiah, we have a very special guest today, and he is eagerly waiting on the other end for you to introduce him, and I hope our listeners are too, because this is going to be a fantastic episode that's hopefully hopefully going to bring some hope in the midst of chaos, in the midst of trials, in the midst of everyday living. So Josiah, who is that special guest that we have awaiting? Well, we're in for a treat, and Young Adults Today listeners were joined today by Ben Corson. Ben is the senior pastor at Applegate Christian Fellowship. He's an international speaker, best-selling mm-hmm. author, and TV and radio personality. He's been featured everywhere, like Fox, Hallmark Channel, TBN, ABC Family, Family, mm-hmm. and other mainstream media outlets. His TV show is broadcast, this is crazy, into over 180 countries. It's all over national radio on over 400 stations. And he travels the globe speaking of hope from God and igniting revival in the hearts of listeners. Mm -hmm. So this ministry of hope generation stems from his own bout with suicide and depression. Ben founded Hope Generation aiming to help Mm -hmm. those struggling with depression and suicidal thoughts to those who've lost hope and needing amidst their success. So the ministry is all about shouting the God of hope from the mountaintops to help people rise out of despair. So, man, we're going to dive into a much needed topic, yeah, much needed help, and we're going to focus really on mental health and hope. Ben, welcome. I'm so excited. I love you guys. You know, what just hit me is, uh, first of all, you both have very biblical names. So I I was just, you have Micah and Josiah. And I was just talking about how Josiah in the Old Testament was called by name before he was born by God when he burned the pagan bones of pagan priests on their own pagan altars before burning the altars themselves as a politician. So, I mean, he would have said worship is essential. That guy did not mess around. Like, no political <laughs> correctness there. And, uh, and we were talking about how, like, Cyrus was also called 170 years before he was born by name to restore the Jerusalem uh, Israelis and Hebrews back to their motherland. So uh, you guys are you guys are destined for great things, man. Just like just like the Old Testament kings and prophets. Yes, we receive that. So <clears throat> it's quite quite an adventure for sure. So Ben, we are just so thrilled that you you also have a big biz- biblical name. Good grief, I can't even talk. Benjamin. 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 Yeah, and I talked about that too because it says that we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing and like how Benjamin received the goodly portion uh, when Joseph was talking to his brothers, like disguised in Egypt, he gave Benjamin the larger lot, the the goodly portion. So I'll take it, dude. I like that. We're all going to walk out in the meaning of our names, right? We receive that. Well, Ben, we are so thrilled to have you join us today and we are talking about a much needed topic in the world in which we live, um, whether it's chaos and commotion or if it's just simply in a season of being still in the everyday life of which god has called us to so ben we're just going to start with your journey whether it's your life your faith and ministry so let's talk about your um 
passion and where all of this kind of just started of you being passionate about specific topics as well as what God has called you to. Well, I gave my first sermon in third grade and then began speaking regularly at 16 and uh, traveling and speaking at 16 and became a pastor my senior year of high school. Um, so I've been doing this a really long time, but it was when I entered the ministry that I started getting really depressed. And I think that's what'll, what could relate to a lot of you know, your audience right now is um, I thought there was something wrong with me until I learned that like actually some of the great leaders in history struggled with depression. So if you look at like Abraham Lincoln, he would walk with a shotgun in the woods tempted to kill himself. Uh, Winston Churchill didn't want a second story flat because he said desperate thoughts do come into the head. Uh, he didn't want to fling himself over the railing in a desperate moment potentially. If you look at somebody like um, Charles Haddon Spurgeon who suffered the preacher's feigning fits with gout in his feet and depression in his heart, uh, what I started to learn is depression is not necessarily a sign of weakness. In fact, sometimes it's a symptom of strength for leaders. Like Calvin Coolidge suffered Great Depression, and he oversaw the economic boom of the Roaring Twenties. And I started to learn, like, okay, um, if Ernest Hemingway killed himself, if somebody like, you know, Vincent Van Gogh chopped off his own ear because he went so mentally mad, it doesn't mean that there's necessarily something wrong with me, but it does mean that I need to reframe my pain and see my weakness as something that can potentially become a strength. And like, I was, I was reading this study by Alfred Adler, who at the turn of the 20th century, he, this is wild, but uh, he found that 70% of the art students that he studied had uh, optical anomalies, which meant they had problems with their eyes. And then the greatest composers that he studied, like Mozart and Beethoven had ear degeneration, so problem with their ears. And what he found is when you're really weak in a certain area, you have to practice what's called compensatory ability, which means that you have to make up for your weakness by giving it extra attention and extra focus. And that area ultimately becomes a strength for you, which was once a weakness. So I think of James Earl Jones, the voice of Darth Vader, Sandlot, CNN, yeah. this is CNN. He was a stutterer and he became one of the most iconic voices of his generation because Paul was onto something when he said, when I am weak, then am I strong? Because you have to practice compensation for him. It meant the weaker I am, the more I have to hang out with the Lord. And because I'm the average of the five people I spend the most time with, the more I hang out with the Lord, he's the strong one. The more his strength's going to rub off on me because I become like who I hang out with. Therefore, the stronger I become, the weaker I initially am. And so that's what I started to learn with my own life is that in struggling with depression, entering into the ministry, uh, I started over the years, like I began to learn, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to figure this mental illness thing out and now hope has become my strength where, where uh, you know, depression was once my great harrowing weakness. That is outstanding. Just the, the level of scholarship and insight and research and study that you've done on this topic and also just personally your experience of highlighting other people. Mm -hmm. The Bible is chocked full of stories like this, but what you just really outlined for us is in weakness weakness is actually a major blessing because it can drive us to a point of desperation it can yeah. drive us to a point of dependence on the holy spirit mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and then delighting in the lord and you know there's no weakness that's beyond god's strength 
And so, yeah. man, I'm fired up. Mm-hmm. Ben, would you also be willing to maybe share a little bit with us and our listeners about your experience of depression and suicidal thoughts? Like, mm-hmm. what was that like for you? Would you dive into that side of maybe yeah. your personal experience? Well, I actually got diagnosed with complex post-traumatic stress disorder because, um, you know, I've just been through a lot at a young age. We all go through stuff, and I'm not saying my experience is worse than anyone else's, but I am saying that, you know, I had a succession of tragedies that happened uh, very quickly. So, um, for example, my sister died in a car accident. Gosh. My brother died of cancer. My dad's first wife died. I went through a romantic heartbreak after an eight-year relationship that just left me blindsided. Um, I have a guy who follows me and my family around like picketing us. It's pretty, pretty annoying after a long period of time. Um, and I went through 10 years of suicidal chronic depression. And so after going through all that stuff, one of my good friends, Jared Wilson, I don't know if you guys know him, but yes. he's a pastor who killed yes. himself. And I was hanging out with him a week and a half before it happened, you know? So after going through all this stuff, I didn't get diagnosed with PTSD. I got diagnosed with complex PTSD because the normal version wasn't enough. I needed the complex variety because there was just so many things that happened at once. And uh, you begin to believe that history is nothing more than one wave, of emer- one wave of emergencies after another. And for me, like I would say that depression is nothing more than seeing your future subsumed by an infinite gray, that tomorrow's going to be no different than today that things are not going to get better. That really is the summation of what depression is, at least in my case. Um, And there, I actually have another book coming out in September that specifically gives 11 weapons that God gave me to defeat the dark Lord of depression. And I just want to like talk about a couple of those things. Cause you know, you know, people don't always, I didn't say for a long time from up front what I was going through, you know, it was more and more in hindsight that I began to disclose and divulge what I'd went through. But a few things that's really important, especially for young pastors uh, and young leaders, is number one, like it wasn't existential ontological navel gazing that primarily brought me out of depression. It wasn't like trying to think my way out of it. It was actually crazy friends who grabbed their skateboards and just started skateboarding with me. And that was so surprising because I I remember my dad had a similar experience when, when his first wife died. Um, everyone was giving him sympathy and that was very kind of them to do and very, very helpful. But he said, one of the most helpful things at the end of the day was when a guy stopped by his house and said, let's go play basketball. And then they played basketball and he took him back home and didn't mention his tragedy one time. And I think like when you go through stuff, sometimes, especially as a young, young leader or pastor, you're constantly hearing about troubles and trials and traumas and tragedies and tribulations. And you're just like, gosh, I don't know if I can bear all this. So it's so important that, and I try to do this even with my Instagram is like, I want to show people that walking with God should be so fun. And it was when I just had these crazy optimist fit friends show, showing me what it means to maximum send it to skateboard, to go on adventures with God and squad. We call them friend ventures, like to explore this beautiful planet and to have fun. Like that was actually one of the chief things that God showed uh, that God used to get me out of depression. Cause I think that leadership can be very isolating and French uh, depression festers in isolation. So like, you know, if you want to go far, go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. Like we weren't meant to squat up, give up. We were meant to squat up. And so 
Hmm. I think a lot of ministers think, oh, I just want to disappear, when actually what you really want is just to be found. And, uh, and I think if I'm an ambivert, so I need like an amalgamation of both the introverted time and the extroverted time. So I don't know like where your listeners might fall on that spectrum, but I would say um, you, it is not good for man to be alone. And that especially yeah. goes for leaders. Like, I don't mean, I don't mean like just fellow ministers. I mean, like just the friends that you vibe with. That right. is massive. Like, I can't even emphasize how huge that is when it comes to uh, overcoming depression and how big that was for my own mental health. There's a lot of other things and we can go into it, but uh, that, that was one of the main things. Ben, I think that's awesome that you were able to first and foremost, like identify what was taking place in your life and being diagnosed and channeling that terminology that was spoken over to you, um, over you, or what was taking place in your, your thoughts and in your life and everything. And I think one thing that was helpful. I, I've never struggled with depression or anxiety necessarily, but there was one thing that was prophesied over me when I was in a very crazy, busy season of trying to discover what God had for me, trying to understand the yeses in my life, trying to understand the no's in my life, trying to just work through things of the past that we all have hurts, we all have hurdles, we all have hangups that can prevent us from saying yes to what God has. And this is what this lady had said. She goes, Mikey, when you were the most lost, you were the most found. When you were the most lost, you were the most found, meaning that you need to like pretty much rid yourself of any title, any responsibility, anything that you're placing on yourself that is not of God and from God, and you need to get on your knees so you can find God again. He can find you, you know, in that place and meet you in that place more or less than find. But when you were the most lost, you were yeah. found. And um, I just would love for you to share of a couple of things that maybe during that season that you were wrestling and struggling with, like what helped you the most during that season? Yeah. And then what hurt you the most during that season? So what's a help and what's a hurt that? Well, I've never been asked the second, the latter part of that. That's interesting <laughs> in that way. Um, because I believe we're supposed to not let our hurts, but our hopes shape our future. Yep. And uh, I think some of the things that hurt me the most were my own projections in my head that if people saw me having fun, then they would think that I wasn't taking my responsibility seriously mm -hmm. enough. And that was probably one of the things that hurt me the most is like, I thought, well, I can't show people that I'm having fun because it looks like I'm not taking the ministry seriously enough. And I, I would say that was one of the things that hurt me the most And the opposite was reality. Like, I love how Mark Twain said, I've had a great many troubles in my life, most of which have never happened. Like Love that our worries, yeah, our worry, like the future of our reality is seldom as bad as the future of, of our fears. And so what happened for me is like, even neurologically, like fear releases more than 1,400 known physical and chemical reactions in the body and triggers more than 30 different hormones and neurotransmitters. Like it's, it's, it affects your body even. And so when I started hanging out with friends, it was the opposite. Like people were like, thank you for showing us that walking with God can be fun. So, so I would say, uh, that was one of the things that hurt me. I would say one of the things that helped me the most um, were prayer walks. I mm. think in the Bible, there's this idea of walking. That's a theme. So like uh, God walked in the cool of the day. God himself walked in the cool of the day in the garden. God told Abraham, walk before me. Paul said, walk worthy of the calling you've received. Enoch walked with God and was, he was translated up. And so um, research now shows that like, if you go on a, a, a 30 minute walks, 
uh, a certain amount of times per week, what happens is, uh, I think it's three times a week, if you go on 30 minute walks, it actually enlarges the hippocampus in your brain, which is responsible for your memory. So you actually have a stronger memory if you go on walks. Um, also like even running and stuff helped me a ton. Jogging uh, releases endorphins, which are natural painkillers that your body produces. But, but back to this walking thing, these prayer walks, like I don't do good just sitting and praying. Like I have to go walk and talk and, and I would talk to God about like my dreams and my problems. And, you know, if there were girl problems or if there were ministry goals or if there were people that were gossiping or whatever, I just talked about everything. Because the great thing is you can talk to God about, like you can gossip to God. He's not like, oh, I didn't know that about that person. Like, that's, a juicy, that's a juicy deed. Like he knows. So David said, I, I pour out all my complaint before God. You know what I mean? You can either yeah. complain to people and get their pity or you can complain to the Prince of Peace and in his presence get his power. And what yeah. I found is like in, 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 in talking to God about the stuff that was really on my heart and just going on walks, that was so healing. And then later on, I found out that scientific research has shown that if you talk to God about your hopes, fears, and dreams, it has the same effect on your brain as therapy. So no wonder I felt like I was getting therapy every time. And sometimes if you go to therapy, you're like, are they going to talk to me about Freudian daddy issues, Oedipus complex, like Jungian dream analysis, Frankel logotherapy? Like, what are they going to talk to me about? Is it going to be psychobabble? You don't know. If you drop $150 on a counselor, they could be good. It might not be a right fit. But the Bible says in Isaiah that God is a wonderful counselor and his therapy is free. It's a free gift. Now, I really believe in going to therapy and, and testing that out so you get the right fit. That was huge for me as well. But I think it's just fascinating how when you do talk to God about your hopes, fears, and dreams, neurologically, it affects your brain the same way therapy does. And one more thing about that that's interesting is I also read later on that when, and I'm going to get a little scientific really fast Bring it about in. spirituality because spiritualism and science, scientific research actually do go hand in hand more than people suspect. Yeah. But research is found through brain scans and magnetic resonance imaging that if you talk to a God that you believe is loving, you develop richer, thicker gray matter in your prefrontal cortex, which is the part of your brain responsible for like concentration, planning, and focus. And you also get more blood flow to your anterior cingulate cortex, which is responsible for like empathy and compassion and even warm and fuzzy feelings, like feeling safe. Uh, con conversely, if you pray to a God you believe is angry, research shows that you have more activity in your, in your uh, amygdala, which they call it the rat brain. It's responsible for anger, fear, and stress. So have wow. you ever noticed people with really angry theologies tend to be very angry people? And that, that, that's, why that, that, that's why it's that way, because your brain images whatever god you happen to worship and so that's like science which is wild and so that's why i think like through neuroplasticity you can change the grooves yeah. in your brain even through praying to a loving god and, and meditating on him you know our thoughts ben are vital they're like a source they come from our heart they're a source mm -hmm. of light they're a source of hope they're they're deep like our thoughts are deeply ingrained right. in our being and we can't necessarily control every thought that we think and what comes into our mind, but we can feed certain thoughts and we can take focus captive. on, yeah, we can take captive thoughts through the power of Christ. And mm -hmm. I just think of my own experience at a young age, experiencing suicide in our family. My uncle took his own life. I dealt with um, tension headaches. 
and, and just wow. debilitating pain for three years, fifth grade through eighth grade, dealt with perfectionism, mm-hmm. dealt with a lot of just trying to perform. Mm-hmm. And, and I found such freedom and surrender and healing. And a component of that was we went to doctors as a family. We went to a chiropractor. We went, I went to counseling. Um, I, I also had the prayer team at our church praying for us. And I think that we're holistic beings, like you mentioned, yes. a mental mm-hmm. being, a spiritual being, a physical being, mm-hmm. a relational, social being. We're people. We're like mm-hmm. human beings. And yeah. I just look at medically, like what clinical practitioners are saying is that eight out of 10 people seen in the OR operating room are on some sort of medication for anxiety or depression wow. in 2020. So in the, in regard to the next generation experiencing off the charts anxiety, off the charts depression, mental health battles that are a very real struggle for those of us who are listening, who are leading, you know, ministries that are, are Christian leaders, pastors, what is our role specifically then? How can we, we want to help and are there warning signs that we can look for? Are there ways that we can minister and are, are, are there ways that we can, like you said, lead people to the Prince of Peace? Yeah, that's great. First of all, I love what you're saying about like basically amalgamating the homeopathy of the East with the pharmacology of the West. Like, you know, how when Jesus, there's this interesting story about when Jesus spit in the ground to heal a guy. Um, This story is so fascinating, gripping and compelling to me. And it's very engrossing because like, first of all, they believe spit could heal people in the first century. So like Tacitus, the, the Roman historian talks about the emperor Vespasian healing a guy with spit. So, so that was medicine in that day. Even today, if you get a paper cut or burn your finger, like what do you, what's the first thing you do? You put, put spit it on mouth. it. You put it in your <laughs> mouth. So, so they believe that was medicine. So when Jesus spit in the ground, what he could have been doing is saying, yes, I'm going to do a miracle, but I'm also going to use medicine. And I don't think they're contradictory. I think they're complementary. Wow. And so, wow. uh, and then I love what he does. He like spits specifically. It says he made clay and he did it on the Sabbath because you weren't allowed to make clay on the Sabbath because that was considered work. And the Israelites for 400 years were making clay to build Pharaoh's pyramids with no Sabbath. So Jesus was saying, I'll do all the work now. You don't have to, you're not a slave anymore. You don't have to make clay to build Pharaoh's pyramids. Like I'll spit in the ground, make clay. So you don't have to, when you rest, I'll work. But if you want to do all the work, then I'll take my hands off and rest. So I think the Lord wants us to rest and to lean into, to rest into his goodness, to, 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 to find this, this, uh, this meaning in both using doctors and, and prayer. I think they're both super important. So sorry, that was like a long, a long rabbit trail to what you were saying, but rabbit trails take you to nice places like Alice found in Wonderland. Uh, but the second thing is like, I wanna say this, when you talk about the suicide of our generation, if you're a pastor or a leader and you're talking to some of your students, sometimes you might not even find in the microtension of their countenance or their mannerisms that they're depressed they might not show it the thing is though is i don't know who like interviewed the 14th century burgundians but apparently sociologists tell us that we are the most depressed generation on record in history which is very ironic because we're also living better than kings used to live like i remember i was skateboarding in santa barbara with some friends and we went into these uh homeless camps and they were watching netflix in the bushes and i'm like only in our generation do homeless people have netflix prescriptions so we live even if you're on the lower rung of the downward mobility of the socioeconomic spectrum 
The fact is we live better than kings used to live and yet still we're the most oppressed generation mm. in history. Um, 123 suicides per day happen in America, according to USA Today. In 2017, suicide was the second leading cause of death in my age group. Um, there, once every 40 seconds, a person will kill himself or herself somewhere around the world. So yeah. suicide is, even for all age groups, it's, it's, it's the 10th leading cause of death. So you have social activists trying to cure AIDS. You have medical scientists trying to cure cancer. What we need are sacred optimists who are going to cure the disease of suicide. And it is a disease. It's a killer. And so my heart for young leaders is to just take on the label and identity for yourself as a hope dealer. Always be a hope dealer. I would say like when we're giving our Bible studies, if it's, if the main point is blues and not good news, we've missed the entire point. Paul said there there are 1,000, 1,189 chapters in the Bible, 66 books written by 40 different authors. 14 were written by Paul. And he said in Romans 15, four, the scriptures were written to give you hope. He literally said, we like scholars can speculate as to why the Bible was written, but Paul who wrote 14 <laughs> books of it, he said, let me tell you why we wrote it. We wrote it to give you hope. So, if, so this is huge. If, if, if we walk into a Bible study feeling less hope rather than more hope, it is a giant exercise of missing the point. So I think sometimes we feel, oh, we got to be like this sort of Pharisaic, like deep uh, conviction on people. But we have to remember that the main theme is hope. The main theme is hope. Paul said it in nine verses later that our Lord is the God of hope. The gospel means good news. So if we're not giving hope and good news as the main thesis thread that's running through the treatise of truth that we're presenting to students and people, I do think we're missing the point. And that's why I'm so glad uh, what you guys are doing is you're like devoted to giving people hope. Now yeah. for me, I realize that I'm bent toward that because my whole ministry is hope generation. Yeah. Uh, I know it's going to look different for every person, but I do think at the end of the day, uh, the important thing for our generation is to say the undercurrent and underlying theme of every message even if I don't use the word hope, it's going to have that vibe because that's what our generation needs. Because sometimes you're not always going to see signs. Obviously, sometimes, you know, girls will shave their heads and, you know, okay, that's a sign. Or you'll see cuts on the wrist. Okay, that's a sign. Or you see isolation or you can tell four smiles or whatever. There, there are obvious signs in some cases. But other times, like with Jared, I knew that he struggled with depression. But the last time I saw him, he was totally bouncy and funny and hilarious. So. Yep. Just don't know. You don't know. And that's why we always want to have that undercurrent of hope. Well, and when you say an undercurrent of hope, I just jump in. I remember homiletics, youth homiletics. Shout out to Dr. Nate Roosh for teaching that class in college. But he would t- he would walk through each of our sermons. It could be topical. It could be, you know, um, more series-based. It could be mm-hmm. expository. And he'd say, what's your pathos? ethos and logos so like logos is spoken word but what's the ethos what's the feel what's what's the vibe you said like so if you can you could have an expository message and it could be the total logos word the reign of spoken word of god Mm -hmm. and then you could have like this ethos of hope because that is the thread of of scripture Mm -hmm. so i just jumped in and echo everything dude i just wrote that down i'm gonna use that in my in my message here coming up that was really good i've never heard that before that was great. Thanks, dude. You're giving me a sermon. I'm getting studying done while I listen to you. That's Let's great. go, man. Young adults today. Ben Corson, what's oh, up? Oh, dude, that's great. Good stuff. I just too wrote that fun. down. That's too fun. Well, Ben, we know that it's our 
not even our, it's our job, it's our opportunity, it's our ability to steward our relationships with Christ and to make life fun. Like you said that you had some individuals comment of like, you've made life or being a Christian fun, but you also experience life and freedom through friendships that were saying, hey, let's go skateboarding. Hey, let's get together. Hey, let's just take your mind off of, you know, yes. a, a loss of a loved one. And we're not going to bring it up and we're not going to you know, counsel you, but we're going to counsel you through a friendship of saying, I'm going to love you where you're at. And if you want to talk about it, you bring it up. You know what I mean? Yes. So yep. Having those people in our lives. And we know that you have a very significant mentor or a well-known mentor in your life. And we know that you posted something recently on Instagram, um, about your personal mentor, who's Greg Laurie. And, um, can you just share with the audience, like what role has mentoring played in your life? Aside from friendships, um, mentoring, discipleship, can you just share um, some fun dynamics potentially of like what that is and means to you and what it could, yeah. should mean to the listener if they don't have one? Because what we're finding is that many people in ministry, they don't have friends in ministry or outside of ministry. They don't have free time outside of their singleness or maybe dating, maybe engaged, maybe yeah. married. And they don't have mentors or disciple, the discipleship happening in their personal life. So there's nobody calling them out and there's nobody calling them up. So what well, has mentorship meant to you? And what can you just share with a listener who may not have any form of a mentor or maybe even yeah. be aware of the significance that a mentor could or should hold in their life? Well, the one thing that mentors like Greg Glory or like my dad have had in my life is their utter commitment to excellence. And that is the one thesis, sort of the one strain and um, common denominator that I found in all them. Uh, there, I actually read this book a while back called Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell. Love in it. Chapter two. Yeah. yeah. He talks about the 10,000 hour rule, how yes. literally it's not rocket science. If you practice for four hours a day, five days a week for 10 years or eight hours a day, uh, five days a week for five years, you'll, if you have a gift, you, you will become world-class as long as you have a, a gift. So, uh, the Bible says stir up the gift that's within you. So if you look at the Beatles, when they came to America, the British invasion, it's like the mop topped boys from Liverpool with the X and it factor and all the girls swoon. And they just have this something plus, well, actually the Beatles had played more live shows before they ever came to America than most bands do in their entire career. So when they came on the Ed Sullivan show with the British invasion, that was after they had played like a, a club in Hamburg, Germany, seven nights a week, eight hours a night. It might, might've felt like eight days a week, you know, but like it was just so, it was just so much practice. They were horrible before that club. They were awesome by the time they left. If you're looking at uh, Bill Gates, Bill Joy, Steve Jobs, hockey players, pianists, science uh, fiction writers, master criminals, literally any field, if somebody reaches the top, they practice for 10,000 hours. Bobby Fischer, the chess champion, Mozart. I mean, even these child prodigies had to practice for a good 10 years before they really reached that level of excellence that we remember them for today. But uh, I literally did that. I, I took a timer and I practiced my craft for 11,073 hours in five years. I took timers and practiced writing and speaking. So you're saying it um, doesn't happen overnight. Yeah, it doesn't happen overnight. So okay. th th sometimes this is what I, I think we get there thinking it's going to happen overnight, right? Overnight success takes at least 10 years. Wow. See, there you go. So, so, so you might have a moment where something opens up for you, but it's because you work so hard in the darkness that you're ready for the, the light. So wow. you're like, yeah. it's when the spotlight's on you, I guess. So 
what I would say is this, this is really important. When it comes to mentors, uh, my mentors all have that in common. Like they have just preached an absurd amount of sermon. Like my dad has preached an absurd amount of sermons. He's amassed, he's amassed over 10,000 sermons, a great glory. These guys just have preached so much. And I used to say, I'm only going to take the stuff that like, I think is important. But then I learned to say, no, I'm going to preach at, at homeless shelters because in God's kingdom, that's probably like the most important. You know, I'm going to preach in kids' classes. I'm going to preach at the places no one, everyone else is turning down. I'm going to do those things. And so what I started doing is preaching about 10 times a week for years. And, wow. and even small, whether it was small or big, I just took everything. Now I want to say there comes a point in your life where then you have to be a little more choosy or you'll go insane. As, as you focus on your ability, God starts giving you more opportunity. That's just how it works. Yep. But I will say this. Um, a lot of people think like, oh, I'm going to wait for opportunity to roll up. What they need to roll up is their sleeves. And, wow, and, and one of the ways to do this is to say, I'm not just going to wait for a mentor to knock on my door and ring the doorbell or DM me. Like instead, I, I am so passionate about this one. I can't even articulate how much this should be underscored. But my, like I every day spend time with my dead friends, my dead mentors. Yeah. Uh, this morning, literally, literally, literally two minutes before I called you guys or texted you, um, I was reading Martin Heidegger, a German philosopher. He's, he's dead, but like the, the, the last books I've been reading are Thomas Aquinas. He lived 800 yeah. years ago and John Locke from a couple hundred years ago. And, um, and now Martin Heidegger. And then another one was Immanuel Kant, the yeah. metaphysical elements of ethics. Like we, we, we live in a generation of so much scrolling and all the while there's these dead ghosts who are emerging from the mist with these keys to unlocking the secrets of wisdom. And we have all of these mentors that aren't even alive anymore. Mm -hmm. Friends, these books are free. Some of the best books are either public domain or they're like a dollar ninety nine, and like like people like John Trapp, you know, people like George McDonald, people like, of course, a more popular version, C.S. Lewis. Like, yes. you, you don't always have to spend one hundred fifty thousand dollars on an education. That in some cases, not in all cases, in some cases, you can get for buck fifty at the local library. What I'm saying is, like, I I don't even know if I graduated high school, but what I do know, because I became a pastor my senior year, what I do know is I just I just read a gross amount of books, like voraciously oh. and there's something so powerful about that and what i would say is um gosh i just i just wish our generation i think we need spiritual depth in a superficial age i think our generation mm. is having so much existential nausea and onto like ontological uh identity crisis because we're always comparing ourselves on instagram when really like here's all these great mentors that you can just get on like on the internet, you know, by downloading it from iBooks or going to Barnes and Noble. And it's just amazing what these mentors offer. And these guys have been uh, truly, this, this goes without saying, truly life, life changing for me. So good. And that's outstanding. I mean, you and I met, and by the way, when you meet Ben, or when you listen to a podcast with you, or when we re-record, I'm taking mm -hmm. notes, I'm having a blast because there's something about your demeanor and just mm -hmm. God's anointing on your life that's just unforgettable. I remember sitting at uh, sitting at Passion Camp, a Louis Giglio mentoring day next to you, and I, I, I like had no idea who you were, but I'm like, dude, your spirit is just fun to be around. And 
And the depths of my heart this year, 2019, 2020, have been crying out to deep. And so I, I started stumbling across like some John Mark Comer. Well, he points to John Ortberg. Well, he points yes. to, to um, Dallas Willard. So I'm like reading yeah. all of Dallas Willard. I'm then reading all of like C.S. Lewis because Dallas Willard quotes a bunch of C.S. Lewis. Then C.S. Lewis is like, Quoting Jonathan Edwards and, and dude, that's exactly how it works. And in, in this, this is one of my, this is one of the issues I take with the educational system today. Is there's a lot of forced reading, and that's why people don't like to read. But if you follow your curiosity, that's exactly what happens. This guy quotes another guy quite a bit. Like C.S. Lewis had George McDonald in every book. I'm like, okay, who is this George McDonald? I yep. read George McDonald. Like C.S. Lewis said when he read Fantasies at Baptist's Imagination. Then George McDonald leads you to German idealism and you find out he was friends with Ralph Waldo Emerson. And then suddenly you're in this whole new world and it's, it's a domino effect and it's yeah. wild. And then, then it's like, instead of just getting depressed on social media all day, like you're, you're going into the deeps. I want to write a book one day called Happy Depths because I think a lot of people think if you go deep, it's going to be like boring or depressing. No, it's some of the, you can get to some of the happiest places when you go deep, 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 deep. Like C.H. Spurgeon said, the Spanish galleons in the ocean that um, are the deepest take obviously the longest to surface. And that's how the treasures of life are. That when the more patient wow. you're willing to be, the, the, the longer the treasures take to surface, the richer the treasure trove and treasure chest is actually going to be. So it's just so exciting. And I want people to see that, you know? I love it. Let's go, man. You spur me on. I'm fired <laughs> up. And, and that leads us into the last five minutes of this podcast. We do something then called five questions, five minutes. We call it five and five. And so they're kind of a little bit more rapid fire. It's how we like to close things. I out. love, I love that, dude. And we're lifelong learners. So we're going to learn a little bit about you in five minutes. How's that sound? A little more. Sounds fun. Sounds All right. fun. Here we go. All right. So question number one, Ben, if you could describe yourself in three words, what would they be? Buoyant. Driven. Insane. <laughs> <laughs> And any of my friends would, would agree with the insane part. Well, and we know that words carry weight and, and, and the, they mean something. Like there's a definition. Are there any words that you live by? Maybe they're sayings, maybe they're verses, maybe they're quotes. Are, are there any words that you... And oh, by, by the way, speaking of words and etymolo um, etymological origins and stuff, when I say insane, I read this book called First Rate Madness, which showed me that some of the best leaders were actually insane. So I don't necessarily mean that as a bad thing. Um, uh, I would say words that I live by uh, are discipline. I'll pick three. How about I pick three? Uh, discipline, um, not to sound like grandiloquent or something, but, but greatness. I'm, I always am thinking like, is this great, is this greatness or is this some, is what I'm doing now going to be forgotten? You know, like, mm. is this, is this true greatness or is this trendy? You know, I like to think about that. And then the third thing is, um, the third thing I would say is, oh gosh, this is, I would say legacy. Mm. I, a legacy is so important to me. Like for me, what I'm doing now with Hope Generation, we, we try to come out with like sometimes six videos a week, high, you know, produce videos a week. And uh, to me, and we have like a, day, a daily podcast and all that stuff, a weekly show, because it's not just about what I'm doing for this generation. It's what am I going to leave behind? Like wow. this is just a light affliction compared to the way to glory, all this stuff we go through here. So I, I want to leave something behind, I guess. I don't guess, I know. <laughs> 
That's so good. Well, Ben, we're going to mix things up here with question number three. Curveball. And, and if you could ask us one question today, what would you ask Josiah and myself? What is the funnest thing about being married to each other? Well, I'll, I'll answer mine in 30 seconds. Micah is hashtag adventure. <laughs> you just... Oh, there you go. <laughs> we, I proposed to her at the Grand Canyon. Like, she just loves life. She lives to love. She she she's a learner she's a leader she's just somebody who spurs me on and just um never a dull moment like she is funny wow. hilarious adventure Winnie. what would you say about your what would you say about your hubby oh man what would i say about him i would say that he is definitely the biggest encourager so i think when you are called to ministry and you're doing ministry alongside each other and it's it's not a production it's not a show but it's completely surrendered to god and to know that he is desiring more of God's will, more of God's um, insight, and more of God's direction. I mean, as the head of the household and as a teammate, you know, to play off that each and every single day is also an adventure because we invite God in, like, God, what will you have us do today? How will you interrupt our day to further your kingdom when it's inconvenient for me? And how wow. can I die to self each and every single day now being a new parent, being a spouse, wow. dating, to being a single? Like, it is a domino effect of, you know, seeing him just desire more of God, I think spurs me on um, wow. to the next level of intimacy with God. So I think that's just one thing, fun thing about being married is you get to do life with your best friend. You don't have to do it. You've chosen each other and um, we're on the same team no matter what. And we're just that's great. going through um, life together and sitting with each other in the front seat side by side versus in separate cars, trying to take each other off the road because we, don't know our role or we don't know what God's called us. Yeah, to. that's good. You know, so in the same seat with our helmets on, ready for an adventure, I think is most definitely the most rewarding um, aspect of being married, but also doing ministry together. So yeah, that's what I, I love I that. You have the Bilbo Baggins. It's, it's a good day for an adventure. You have a Bilbo Baggins mentality. <laughs> and also the other thing I will say, and this is super interesting, is um, you've mentioned you proposed to the Grand Canyon. We just started a study through Ephesians, which has been nicknamed the Grand Canyon of the New Testament because of the height, width, length, and breadth of the Grand yeah. Canyon. That's what Paul talks about in Ephesians, the height, width, length, and breadth of the love of God, which passes knowledge. So I'm, I'm tracking with you guys. Dude, and Ephesians is try one of the three books that I, like, I'm trying to memorize Ephesians, working on it. So oh gosh, wow. Public accountability, trying to, trying to get there, maybe halfway. But wow. back to you, Ben, in a world that is so hopeless, how can we as Christ followers hold on to hope? You will have nightmares and you will have dreams. You will conquer your nightmares because of your dreams. As you delight yourself in the Lord, he'll give you the desires of your heart. On your worst day with God, you're better off than on your best day without God. And when you're going through your worst, God is planning his best. That, my friends, is something to hold on to. Oh my gosh. Are those your words? Is that first Ben? First Benjamin? <laughs> first, hey, originality is the art of concealing your sources. When you read a lot, you start to get information everywhere and it's just all swirling around your head. But those things have really helped me for sure. I think you're brilliant. You sound like a walking fortune cookie, but I love it. <laughs> so fifth, fifth question, Ben, then we'll let you get out of here. But if you could tell a group of college pastors and young adult leaders one thing, if we gave you the mic right now, what would you leave us with today? Stay focused. Don't get caught up in the comparison game of other pastors. Don't fall into the superficiality of our age. Don't get discouraged or grow weary in well-doing. 
work really hard at your craft. And if you do your work, Spurgeon said, you'll never be out of it. See what you can do to build an outpost of the kingdom of God in your home church uh, or wherever you're ministering. Use your platforms to create and build an empire of hope in our generation. Be a hope dealer. Be a sacred optimist. Uh, find holy happiness and calm delight in Jesus' joy in your friendship with God. Enjoy the joy of being enjoyed by God. Maximum send it to eternity and beyond and throw punch the devil for a living and you'll be doing some special things. That's a whole bucket of fortune cookies right there. <laughs> I'm going to re-listen to that a couple times just so you know. <laughs> Those taste great. Man, Ben, this has been just um, invigorating. And I just want to say thanks for the work you're doing. Yeah. Thanks for the study, the seriousness that you take to scholarship and study. Thanks for just holding on to hope, for sharing hope with us and with others. And listeners, what a great conversation. Hope you'll share it with somebody. And you can find out more about Ben Corson and the Hope Generation when you connect with us on social media is at youngadults.today. Until next time, this is Josiah and Micah Keneally with Ben Corson. All right. Bring hope to the hopeless. That's our job. Thanks for listening to today's conversation on the Young Adults Today podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, go ahead and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Plug me in. I'm getting charged up right now, yeah.